Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If I had to guess, there are probably two people that you can name that were crucified around the first century. One, of course, is Jesus. Uh, The other is Spartacus. Spartacus. No history? You guys remember history? Anyway. Or VHS. You see the movie. It's like a VHS somewhere in your parents' basement, probably, or something like that. You could... Spartacus. For those who don't know Spartacus, Spartacus, uh, he was crucified around uh, 70 BC, and he started or he tried to start, well, he did start a, a slave rebellion that was pretty successful, but not quite successful. Uh, and this scared Rome to death because they had millions and millions of slaves. And if this was in, at all successful, I mean, they're gonna, their economy is going to be messed up and all the power structures and, and really the empire could be overthrown. And so they took this very, very seriously. Well, they ended up capturing Spartacus and they, they got Spartacus and, and all of his fighting men and they crucified all of them. And they crucified them along a highway, all the way from where the rebellion started, all the way back to Rome. And one, because they wanted to communicate the message loud and clear, you do not mess with Rome. And um, it makes a lot of sense to me why we would know who Spartacus is, or at least you know some, some of us do, that uh, because historians, Roman historians, made it a point to write about it. Rome wanted everybody in that part, in that time period, in that part of the world to know that if you, hey, if you ever think about doing this, you might want to think twice. And so uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that we would know who Spartacus is. What doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, if you, if you think about it, is how in the world do we know anything about Jesus? How in the world do we know about this common Jewish carpenter who lived in, the, in, the, in Judea, uh, was basically the armpit of the Roman Empire? It's kind of like playing right field, you know, when you're in Little League and they're like, hey, son, go out in the right field. You're like, you know, like that was like the worst place to go. Well, that's what, if you were a Roman soldier, getting sent to Judea was like getting sent to right field. This was like a, no, a nobody place to go. Why is it that we know anything about Jesus? How do we know about his crucifixion? Nobody important wrote about him. No no Roman historian wrote about him. No Jewish historian wrote about him. How is it that we have four accounts of the life of Jesus? In fact, we know more about Jesus than we do any Roman emperor, which is amazing when you think about it from a historical perspective. How do we know so much? How do we know, how does a third of the world, right? How does a third of the world uh, from all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of uh, places on earth, how does a third of the world believe that somehow Jesus is connected to God? How does that happen? How in the world do we know this? I mean, what's undeniable is that Jesus was a man and he was crucified about 2,000 years ago. And uh, about a third of the world believes that he is somehow connected to God uh, from all different kinds of backgrounds. In fact, it's very diverse geographically as well. A historian has to ask the question, how did that happen? How did that, how did this all happen? Now, when you read, you know, some of their explanations, which I like to do, um, it doesn't really explain it. Like it, it, 
I mean, because how how does something like this get out of the first part of the first century when the the Jewish community, the, the religious leaders among the people that this got started, they did not want this to spread and they had the law on their side. And then how did it get out of the first century, the last part of the first century, when the most powerful empire that's ever lived tried to stop it? I mean, they, they, used, uh, they used us as candles. Uh, they fed us to lions. Uh, we, we were forced to hang out in catacombs. They plundered our property. They put us in prison. They did all kinds of things. How in the world did it happen? Well, there's another explanation, which is the explanation of the eyewitnesses. And uh, there's uh, four accounts that were written according to these eyewitnesses. One of those is a guy named Luke who wrote, who wrote not only about the life of Jesus, but he also wrote about how the early church got started. And what we see is that the early church got started as a movement. And it was a movement of people who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he had died for their sins and he had rose to new life. And these early 120, they believed this message and they gathered in a room. And on the very first day, the, the, the Holy Spirit broke out in power and upwards of 3,000 people embraced the idea that Jesus had died for their sins and had risen to new life, not in a galaxy far, far away, but a few hundred yards, maybe a mile from where they were standing about two months ago, a little over 50 days to be exact. I mean, if I was to tell you about something that happened in Mongolia in the fourth century AD, you might have to take my word for it or you wouldn't care or whatever. I could probably get away with it. Or if I was to tell you something that, you know, that God told me and, um, you know, I was to get you to believe it and we, you know, we started a cult. Um, If you're new, it's going somewhere, trust me. just hang tight. Um, you know, I, maybe I could do that. But if I was to tell you, if I was to tell you about an historic, if I was to tell you about an event that happened 50 days ago at Lindbergh High School, I might be able to convince one or two people, but eventually someone would say, no, 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 that didn't happen. I, was, I'm, I live here. I was, I was here especially when all the powers that be did not want it to happen. Well, how did it happen? Well, again, they had this message. And this message was that if you believe in Jesus, your life, in his death, burial, and resurrection, your life can be transformed and you can be changed forever. And they went out in the communities and they spread this message. And they were, write this down if you're taking notes, an outwardly focused movement. And it grew and it grew and it grew and grew. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. Um, the, church got, the church got organized. It, it got buildings. It got comfortable chairs. It got plenty of parking. It got state-of-the-art children's ministries. It got uh, all kinds of things. It got nice-smelling bathrooms. It got beautiful, beautiful screens and, and, and lights. And, and uh, th- there's nothing wrong with that. But somehow in all of that, the message got lost. And in fact, in some places, hierarchy was developed. 
And if you kind of understand that, because you know the, it was a theological train wreck in those first few centuries, and so you kind of understand why they did that. But a hierarchy was developed, and and then so the, the church went through some dark times where like the wealthy could kind of do what they wanted. They just kind of paid some more money, and it was is really kind of corrupt. And in fact, so 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 the church began to control the people who are part of the church, but they didn't actually try to control people outside the church, and that you know they started uh, crusades and, and things like that, and. Basically, all the things that maybe you look back at our history and are, are embarrassed by, they stopped um, looking past uh, differences. They got away from the central truth. They got away from the central passion. They, got pa- they, they, stopped looking, uh, they stopped looking past these differences. They stopped saying things like, hey, look, we don't care what you're, you know, you know, wh- who you are or where you're from. We just want you to know about Jesus. And in fact, when you read the book of Acts, it seemed like the only thing that they really believed, like the rallying point of the church, wasn't how you dressed or style of music or how you facilitated communion uh, or if you were a fan of the new emperor or not or like it just it was just it was about the rallying point it was that Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of the living God he was crucified for your sin and he rose again on the third day and if you believe you're in him your life can be totally transformed and if you don't believe in him that's okay what can we do to help you believe in him? And while you're trying to figure that out, is there anything we can do to love and serve you? Because we are so excited and passionate about this person, Jesus, and he's totally transformed our lives. And we want everyone to know about him. And he taught us to love and serve other people. In fact, um, one Roman emperor who did write not about Jesus, but it wrote about the early church, He said, it is a scandal that there's not a single person among them who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, he called them godless because they didn't believe in the Greek gods, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should give them. In other words, they care for each other, but they also care for our people too, better than we care for our people. And this is why it says in the book of Acts that they had favor with the people. They didn't have favor with the government, but they had favor with the people. But do you know what I've learned as a pastor? I've learned that the the switch from being outward focus to inward focus happens really, really quickly. In fact, the gravitational pull for every community and every individual is inward. So if you're not constantly battling this gravitational pull, it just happens over time. It's why 80% of everyone who comes to faith in the United States comes from a church two years old or less. Because this is just how things go. It's why the average church plateaus at 15 years, it declines at 25, and it's gone at 40. Because it's just easy. So how do you know this is happening to us as a church? How do we know this is happening to us? But, but just as importantly, and I hope you consider this, not just as a challenge, but actually, I hope you feel empowered by this question. I don't, I don't want you just to feel challenged by this question. I want you to feel empowered by this question. Is it happening to me? Because a, a, a church is just a collection of people. Some people come to me and say, you know, I don't like that the, 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 you know, the church does this, or, or I like the church does this, and, 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 and they're referring to, I guess, some third-party group, because I'm saying, well, hey, we're, we're it. Like, this is, this is me and you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this is us. 
we are it. It's not something else. It's, it's us. So I've come up with a little phrase that's a little corny, and it almost rhymes. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little sad, to be honest with you, but it's the best I can do. How we pray reveals if we strayed. Almost rhymed. <laughs> How we pray reveals if we strayed. How a church prays indicates if the church is strayed. And Acts 4 records the very first prayer meeting. So we're going to look at this very first prayer meeting. But before I do that, I want you to think, if you're a Christian here, I want you to think about the kind of things that you pray about. We're going to look at what the early church prayed about. But I want you to take a minute just to think about the kinds of things uh, that you pray about. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook, and, and you could just sit back and say, yeah, I knew they were hypocrites, and so you, uh, you're, you're good. Um, here's what I think we pray about most. I mean, I, I put myself in there. I think we pray for ourselves. We pray for our finances. We pray for our food. Um, we, we, pray, we pray for ourselves. We pray for our families, and we pray for a few sick people. I think most of our, 90% of our prayers, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our family, and we pray for uh, our sick people. And, that, and that's pretty much it. And, and, and I'm, I'm really not trying to be um, mean at all, but um, the things that we pray for are kind of absurd. Meaning, meaning like they don't really take divine intervention. I mean, there are probably things that, that could have happened or should have happened anyway. Like, God, I pray that we would have a safe trip. Okay, so are you sober? Do you put on your seatbelt, drive the speed limit, and there's a really good chance that you're going to have a safe trip. Now, I just want you to know, I prayed that prayer last week. I, we had, we had a, a, my, my oldest daughter had a friend in from California, and this was her second plane ride. Her first plane ride was to us. Her second plane ride was from us back to her parents, and I prayed that she would have a safe travel. You should keep praying that prayer. Or we pray, God, help me do well on this test. Did you know that atheists do well in tests? Did you know that? <laughs> that they study? And I think you should pray for that. But it's not like, it's not like God's up there like, ooh, bellowed over. Hey, get, you know, let me catch my breath. You kind of put me out there on that safe, tra uh, safe travel prayer. Let me catch my breath. Don't ask me for two things. Like, I don't think that is what's happening here. It's like, God's like, it's like look, look, I know you're thankful for the day. I know you're thankful for the food. I know that you, you want... You want, your, you want healthy kids. You want a good job. I know you want the, but I'm God. Like, ask me for something big. Like, ask me for something beyond maybe what you're thinking right now. And look, I, I am not saying at all, please, please, I cannot say this, emphasize this enough. I am not saying that you should stop praying those prayers. In fact, one of the amazing things about God is he cares about all that stuff. I mean, it's amazing, like way more than, he should, but he cares about every little detail. If it's on your mind, it is on God's heart. Like, I really believe that we should be praying responsive prayers all the time. Something happens, and it, it worries me. You pray it. Like, man, that's awesome and great. You should keep praying those prayers. But here's my concern. If that is the extent of our prayer life, what's at the center of that prayer life? What's well, me? It's us. Or let me put it this way. If God was to answer all of your prayers in 2021 with an affirmative yes, who would be better off? If you wanted to be married, you'd be married 
If you, if you wanted to, that job, you'd have that job. If you wanted your finances to be a little bit better, your finances would be a little bit better. If you wanted to get in that school, you would have gotten in that school. If you wanted, you know, you'd be 15, 20 pounds lighter. I don't know what your goals are. Now, again, those aren't bad. All I'm saying is my concern as your pastor is that self-centered prayers, when you get them all together and after a while, self-centered prayers lead you to being a self-centered Christian. And as, a self, as self-centered Christianity becomes the norm in the church, we move away from the kind of community that I think we all want to be and I think the world wants us to be and thinks that we should be. We move away from that and we start we stop being the church and we start doing church and we do churchy things in a, in a churchy building and then we become church people. Ugh. <laughs> and, we, and then we get in the cycle that 80% of all Christians do is that we, we, we hang around each other long enough and then we get to know each other, we get on each other's nerves and we, got, we go find another church building to go to and another church program to be a part of, and the world stays unchanged, and you get bored out of your mind. But here's what I know about you. I know that you want to be a part of something different, because you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't put up with what comes with the messaging that comes from this church. I know you want to be a part of something bigger. I know you want to make a difference. But to, to make that difference, to be that church and to be that individual, it's going to show up in how you pray. So let's take a look. That's just the introduction, by the way. Let's take a look. It's inverted today. Big introduction, short message. Let's look at how they prayed. The background here is Peter and John are in prison. If you don't know about the early church, Peter and John are like the, the, the big leaders. And they're the money players. Like, they're the ones that were leading. And uh, they were very uh, successful, you could say, at, at, at you know, early days. I mean, lots of people being added, lots of high fives, um, lots, of, lots of good things happening. Uh, but then they got thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. Again, that was their central message. They were out everywhere and anywhere to preach the gospel. And they got thrown in prison, but they were being released. And uh, they were released with a stern warning to stop preaching the gospel. And now they're getting ready to have the very first recorded prayer meeting. And what do you think that they would pray about? I think I, think I know what we would pray about. I mean, if, if, if like, if, well, I hope you'd pray if I was in prison. I, the, uh, Maybe not. Well, you did say hi to me, so yeah, you would. But if if this happened to us, I mean, I think one of the things that we would want to pray for, which would be totally illegitimate, and I know my my wife would appreciate this, is that we want to pray for for safety, for protection. God, we keep us safe. Keep us protected. Put a hedge around us. Whatever that means, just do that. But that's not how they prayed. But this is how they prayed, and by the way, how they lived. Verse 24. And when they heard it, this is the news, they lifted their voice together to God, said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth 
and the sea and everything in them. In other words, before they asked for anything, they just wanted to remind themselves by declaring to God that there's nothing out of his control, that he is in control. Nothing happens without him. This is an amazing way to start a prayer meeting or start a day or start a week or start a year or start a life is by first looking to God. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. A great way to start a prayer meeting is to orientate your situation to God versus orientating God to your situation. If most of us view God through the lens of our situation, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, particularly in the last 18, 24 months, their view of God was directly, almost exclusively as a result of their situation. When in reality, God would like to say, hey, I got something to say about that. So they, they, they immediately went to him and said, God, we need to remind ourselves that you are still on the throne and nothing happens without your awareness. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, they're getting ready to quote scripture. Great thing to do when you pray is to bring scripture into the mix. And this is the scripture. Why did the Gentiles and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. In other words, why do people try to stop what God's doing? That's what they saw. They, peop, these people in Jerusalem, the, the Jews and the Romans, they're trying to stop what you're doing. Why do they do this in vain? And then they take the scripture, this is important, they take the scripture and they apply it to their situation. For truly in this city, so this isn't, this isn't just some Old Testament prophecy, this is our situation, where we're gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, so they're, they're, they say, God, you're in control, and they reiterate scripture, and they're, and they're just they're saying, okay, all these people, all these people who are against your anointed, Pontius Pilate and Herod specifically, do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Did you, did you hear what they just said? This, my life is out of control and what's going on and what's happening. They had this conviction that God was in control and that he was going to do something amazing. In fact, they, they did not see their life as spinning out of control, even the crucifixion of Jesus. And I might add, especially the crucifixion of Jesus, that God has a plan in mind. And then finally, they get to the gimme gimme part. And sometimes we start there and maybe just maybe if God proves himself faithful, then I'll see what he's up to. So here's a request. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to, can speak, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Boldness. Not safety, not wisdom, not clarity. Boldness. Boldness. Isn't this what got you in trouble in the first place? I mean, I, I think you got boldness covered, right? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When's the last time 
in the face of your fears that you did not ask God to change the situation. You asked for boldness to face the situation. Do you know why Christianity has made it to the 21st century? There's only one reason. Because there's always been a remnant of Christians who have prayed for and have had boldness. And the question I'm putting before us today is, do we want to be a part of that remnant? But then they ask for something even more extreme. Verse 30, why you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, in light of this, I know there's a reason why you put me on here on earth. So I need boldness so that I can continue to be a conduit for your power, because I know there's a city out there. I know there's there's neighbors, there's friends, there's coworkers, there's people out there who need to experience you. Imagine what would happen if we added to our prayers. Don't stop praying for all those other things. If you walk away here saying, oh, Brian just made fun of everything I prayed for, that you heard me wrong. You made that up. You inferred it. And don't do that to me. I'm saying keep praying those prayers. But what if, what if, what if you added to those prayers, God, will you give me boldness with my, will you give me boldness in, in, in light of the future that I see? Because I look at my future and I see things kind of dark and grim. I see my, you know, there's finances I want to be a certain way. There, my kids I want to be a certain way. My health I want to be a certain way. My, my relationships I want to be a certain way. I look at my situation and, and I, I, I feel like I have to pay attention to those things. How can I, how can these things be coming at me? My kid's not doing well. My finance is not doing well. My health's not doing well. My relationships, how can I handle this and do what you're asking me to do? Well, you need to pray for boldness. Otherwise, otherwise, the outward focus that we're all meant to have, the reason why the church has made it from Judea all the way to here in the 21st century is that is the point at which churches thrive or fold in on itself. That is the point to which churches live for others or do things that we're all embarrassed about. Is that decision What happened? Well, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we prayed that, talked about that last week, and actually that's really our theme this week as we pray. And to continue to speak the word of God with with boldness, God answered that prayer. When we gather this week for our week of prayer, we'll pray for boldness and we'll pray that God will stretch his hand to do a miracle through us. And we need this now more than ever because I, I've seen pretty much in, in wider culture and, and, and Christians aren't any different. Um, there is, there's no question there's been a rise of, of fear and concern. No question. I mean, there's a lot, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but I mean, the two big ones and people seem concerned about their finances and their relationships and all that kind of stuff. But people 
are particularly fear that they're going to lose their their health, or they're afraid that they're going to lose their their freedoms. I don't know about you, but I I felt that way. In fact, sometimes it happens on the same day. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my health? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my freedoms? Christians, Christians are, are those who believe that the ultimate person, the ultimate person, the ultimate life, died for his enemies and gave away his life for others. A Christian is someone who takes that belief, that dynamic, and puts it at the very center of who they are, and it becomes the operating system for everything they do. How they, how they live, their calendar, their money, everything. The operating system of every decision is how can I give my life away for others. And they have the confidence that because my life is hidden in Christ, because my ultimate life is in Christ, and because my ultimate freedom is in Christ, nobody can ever touch that. And we live, as a consequence, we live boldly. Humbly, Humbly before our God and humbly before men. Not just before God, but before men. But boldly. But boldly. So here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to do two things. I want you to close. In fact, you can go ahead and stand. Uh, um, I want to ask you to identify the fear that you have right now, not the fear of your family member or not the fear of your neighbor or not the fear of someone else. I want you to think about your fear. I want you to identify that fear. And instead of asking God to change whatever is causing you to be afraid, I want you to ask God for boldness to continue to do what he's asked you to do. He was so clear. Seek first the kingdom and all these things, where you'll live, what you'll eat, who you'll be married to, your education, your kid's education, all these things will be added. So this comes back to verse 24. Do we, the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord who's in control of everything in face of my fear, my, well, well, well my, my, my finances aren't what they're gonna be. I, I, gotta, I gotta hustle for that. My, my, my relationships aren't what they be. I gotta, I gotta hustle for that. In light of your fear, in light of your fear, whatever it is, instead of asking God to change your situation, ask God for boldness. Not just Well, let me get to the second thing. The second thing is I want you to consider both your responsibility and your influence. Over Jubilee being the church that we all want it to be. This is your church. It can be a good one or a bad one. It can be a, a, a it, can, it, it can reach people or it cannot reach people. It can serve the poor or it cannot serve the poor. It could be outward looking and make a difference or it can grow in and on itself. 
I have a vote, but I have one. I do have a microphone, I guess, but. You get to vote with your life. I want, to, I want you to consider both your responsibility and your influence to make that difference. Some of you have this on your walls because I've seen it. Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now is the moment that you make that plaque a reality. Jesus, we thank you that you came from heaven to earth to demonstrate what perfection to the law looks like. The perfect, the ultimate life. We've seen it. We know it. And then you died so that we can enter into it. And you rose in new power. And that same power that rose, that raised you from the dead is available to us. And on behalf of all my brothers and sisters, in light of whatever we're facing that's causing us to fear, that would cause us to shrink back, that would cause us to divide our attention, divide our loyalties, divide our passions, I pray you would fill us with boldness. Fill us with, fill us with boldness. What do you, what do you, what are you desperate for today? What does it look like for you to, three times a year, to orientate your week around prayer and fasting? There was a man in the desert dying of thirst, and he saw a, a well in the distance, distance that had water. He would not say to himself, man, I'm really thirsty, but I don't think I have the time to make it to that well. I've got other things to do. No, you only have time to get to that well. My prayer for us is that we would acutely feel the moment that we live in. James says our, the moment that we walk this earth is like a breath in a cold winter's day. It's there and it's gone. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians adds, be wise then how you live, for the days are evil. God, we just... We're just sorry for making it about us. We just want to turn from that. Yeah, I, f I feel that pull in my own life. I feel that pull. One day you're passionate about Jesus. The next day you have endless conversations about curtains and hardwood floors and what car we're going to buy. Just thank you for your leadership. Just pray you fill this community with boldness. I just pray for this week. Just pray that this building would shake. I pray that our lives would shake. I pray that your word would go out in miraculous power as it has for 2,000 years.